Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Each week, find out what's going on in the world of V8 supercars with the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. Seaton returns to full-time duty. If he can start to understand uh, my language and my interpretation of what the car is doing and what I need from it, then I think it's, it's a bigger advantage than uh, any other team's got out there. Tom teases with HRT2. And Kim's mate out the back tells us how it really is. Because people aren't stupid. Our fans aren't stupid. We look at that and more as the lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Taking the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Steve Johnson from the Dick Johnson Racing Team. Each week, find out what's going on in the world of V8 supercars with the V8 Insiders. Glenn Seaton will return to full-time employment in the V8 Supercar Series this year as the engineer and co-driver of the Bottolo Commodore for Tony D'Alberto. D'Alberto is looking forward to working closely with the two-time champion. It's going to be fantastic. You know, we're really excited about it. And, uh, you know, I've looked up to Glenn since I've been a young tacker racing go-karts and known him for a lot of years. I uh, actually did work experience with uh, Glenn's team uh, when he had his own team and uh, that was my first real uh, insight into that supercars. But D'Alberto is not worried that technology in the series has passed by Seaton. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, we've got a young engineer as well that we're working with the team uh, who worked with us last year also. Um, but, I mean, Glenn, yeah, he doesn't come from, I suppose, the, the computer side as much. He sort of comes from uh, seat of the pants a little bit and, and experience that... Um, he's gained over the years so I just say there's such such a massive advantage having someone there that uh, can actually drive the car we'll have the full Tony D'Alberto interview in next week's white flag lap the Walkinshaw organization has started to reveal their plans for the second part of their super team with David Reynolds being unofficially confirmed as the driver of the team red Bundy Beast while confirmation of the Walden licence has not been received, it is believed that the team will be ready for a launch in late February, with the team being completed by Paul Dumbrell in the Autobahn ride. With Reynolds all but confirmed in the Bundy seat, it leaves Andrew Thompson out of a ride. While there was some speculation, he might turn up in the second Perkins car. That seems to have dissipated now, and the young driver has perhaps resigned himself to a gig in the Enduros. Phillip Island has started its build-up to the 500 extremely early this year with a promotional jaunt for the journos to the seaside circuit with track manager Fergus Cameron telling Big Pond Sports that they have a lot to do to get the track back into the reverence that it was once held in by race fans. 
Andrew Fox has said that the 10-year commitment V8 Supercars is putting into the Phillip Island 500 is perfect for developing the event. What we believe is a win-win transaction. It's a win-win for Phillip Island. It's a win-win for Avesco. And it shows a relationship that's going to be a long, long relationship. And uh, we're very proud that uh, V8 motor racing will continue and Phillip Island is going to be a big part of it. Tony Cochran says that the 10-year guarantee at Phillip Island shows the series' commitment to permanent road circuits. We very, very much are about using permanent circuits. Uh, Our only condition is that the permanent circuits recognise our status now in the world of motorsport and make sure that they are, are like us, looking for new ways to go forward and make sure that their circuits are up to a standard that uh, would be fitting of um, a category uh, such as V8 supercars. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. This week's white flag lap is Kim Jones. You step out of line, you get a fine. You make a mistake, you get a fine. It doesn't matter what you do, you're accountable. Um, You have an opinion, you get a fine. On the other side of the street, as in official and world, there's no accountability. But next, it's Philip Iguana and Mark Fogarty. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Steve Richards. Each week, find out what's going on in the world of V8 Supercars with the V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders, where this week we're joined by Auto Action's editor-at-large, Mark Fogarty. Good evening, Mark, and welcome back to the show. Good to be back. It's been a while, but uh, happy to be here. Well, it is an important and sad night in some respects because uh, one of the reasons you're back is because uh, the alleged muse, Philip Iguana, is uh, moving on to greener pastures. And uh, since you always had the stipulation you would only work with Philippa, Mm. I don't know how we're going to be able to get you back on the show. But Philippa, I'm sure you will work in the background tirelessly to help us out with that one, as I know you will be doing when you make the move, the big jump over to V8 supercar land. And uh, like Campbell Little, you're becoming an establishmentarian. Yeah, joining the, joining the dark think... side, you mean? <laughs> yes, thank you for reminding me for the upteeth time, mate. Um, great to be back on the show. And yeah, one last show before I put on the official V8 Supercars television shirt. It's going to be weird being um, on the other side of pit lane rather than the Journey side. And yeah, I've had a few pokes and prods and you know, names being called at me in the past couple of weeks when I've made my plans announced. But, hey, you know, you know you've got to go where the opportunities are. And as sad as I am to leave the boys at AA, you just got to take um, all the opportunities as they come. But, yeah, I'll keep giving Fogs a bit of an elbow prod to make sure he's back on the show, Craig. All right. Well, Fogs, you were in Melbourne last week where the... Uh the announcement was made, and I know everyone was hanging on the edge of the seats to see who might, who might be that exalted uh, driver that will gain the, uh, the gain the chalice that Mr. Scaife had put on the table and oh uh, slowly departed. Yes, and knock me over with a feather. It was, drum roll please, Will Davison. Yes, one of just several 
worst-kept secrets of uh, the V8 launch season. I'm not really sure why the teams persist in this um, charade. ritual yeah, charade, um, of holding off and formally announcing drivers that we've all known for months are getting the seat. And I know yeah. sometimes there are some uh, practical requirements, uh, contractual requirements, but really it is a bit of nonsense. And in, in this case, they launched in Melbourne in the middle of uh, the finals for the tennis. And whilst there was a crowd there, uh, they really didn't make the nightly news. And you have to wonder sometimes about uh, scheduling these launches. You had two of the worst-kept secrets all launched on the same day, and uh, one in Brisbane, one in Melbourne, and neither of them got any coverage at all. What's well, going that's been on? one of my complaints that, for whatever reason, um, and I'm not sure that uh, V8s just haven't taken the opportunity in the off season and to maximise the well relative lack of sports news that's around. There are big events on, namely the cricket and the tennis, but it's just not like you're in the middle of footy season. And I've, it's always been my view January is a big opportunity, particularly January one, to make these big announcements because. Um, News organisations are starved for uh, stuff to fill up their pages and, and airtime, and yet, for some reason or another, um, generally V8 people have been sitting on their hands and letting that opportunity um, slip through their fingers, and um, I'm not really sure. I know some of it is to do with timing, but I would have thought that um, a lot of these announcements could have been made, and the ones to come, a lot sooner to generate some publicity because, I mean... In the general media at the moment, V8 News, it's just like an absolute wasteland out there, and it has been pretty much since after the awards back in early December. So I think it's quite distressing, and I think it's a big opportunity that's been missed, and suddenly near the end of this month and going into early March, there's just going to be a flood of announcements and unveilings, um, you know, including the V8 season launch, and it's all going to come in a rush at once. And, of course, what's happening then? 40 seasons firing up. Oh, really? It was interesting. Yeah, I Sorry, Philip. Sorry, Craig. I was going to say I, I agree with folks 100% there. Um, you know, late last year, when we were doing a bit of a ring around to all the teams to find out what their plans were, everyone said that they weren't going to be launching anything until end of February, early March. And when you look from a perspective of auto action, where we're a weekly motorsport magazine that comes back on board 5th of January, that's a good couple of months that we need to fill of pages, and everyone's on holidays. And, you know, one of the good things that happened late last year was Sprint Gas Racing announced uh, Jason Barguana to take Jason Richards' place at, um, at Tasman late last year. And that was great to get the leverage then. Then they can get leverage when they get their new liveries. They can get more leverage, you know, a couple of months later when they've got other team of, of announcements. And, yeah, you can actually space your announcements out. But, yeah, why keep everyone guessing until, you know, two months into 2009 about whether Jason Barguana was going to replace Jason Richards or not? There's no point. There's no sense. And... You know, one of the things that, um, you know, really helped us at AA was that, you know, someone like Irwin Tools and Stone Brothers were willing to say, well, you know what, we might actually capitalise on the fact that no teams are announcing in January and let's announce Alex Davison for the, uh, the number four seat early on. So, you know what, they get coverage, they get cover shots, they get, you know, a lot of press in the, in the motorsport community. And, you know, I think it's something that I don't know why it hasn't been done in the past or whether it's possible for the supercars to actually, you know, as a category speak with all of the teams and try and plan these out and space them out because if they're all going to be launching into February, early March, everyone's competing with each other for, for column inches 
and you're going to be getting teams like SPR and HRT get all the covers, all the main stories, and teams like Cookshank and Dalberto, I mean, they're going to miss out because they're not as prestigious results on the board like the other teams. So it really needs to be sorted out for next year just to make it a lot easier for all the teams to get, you know, equal piece of the pie. Mm. Now, it's of course... been all very uncoordinated, Craig. It just seems like there's no overall strategy and... I don't know what's going on at Narang, you know, at V8 headquarters, you know, presumably they may have had other plans, but from the outside looking in, it just seems that there is no overall strategy to coordinate all these team launches and to get some news flowing, you know, as I said, particularly in January. You know, it's starting to drip through now. You're right, Philip, but some of the teams, you know, did release um, computer-generated renderings and, and little bits of information, um, but the motorsport specialist press you know isn't the problem you know we can generate our own news even if there's nothing happening by digging around but the general media to some extent has to be some elements have to be spoon-fed and yep. uh, that's my worry that it's just not getting out there if you go onto the news limited's websites and look up at the herald sun and the daily telegraph you know just how few v8 supercar stories have been generated um, especially since christmas um, when they're being when there have been things going on. You know, the one big burst of activity we had um, was the story that Paul Gover broke in the newspapers, the news group papers about, you know, the, well, Paul Morris's idea to try and get Jacques Villeneuve out here. And that was a great yarn, you know, in terms of uh, getting discussion going and, and getting some, some good ink because of uh, Villeneuve's involvement. And um, Morris going on the record and saying he'd like to get him out here. Now, whether it ever happens, whether it's just pie in the sky or kite flying, who knows? But at least it was a, you know, a good topic for discussion, and it got some coverage um, in other papers and um, you know on TV and such. But you know, that wasn't generated, you know, by any V8 supercar team or V8 supercars themselves. And as I said before, you know, I know there are different different agenda or operating, and there are. Um, commercial considerations and people want to have their big launches and all that, but I really think um, it wouldn't do any harm if someone stepped back and just looked at the bigger picture and capitalised on um, that sort of news void, especially early in January, to um, get V8 supercars a lot more mainstream coverage. Yeah, and of course, uh, well, we spoke to um, we spoke to Cole Hitchcock about that very topic. Is it time for you know V8 supercars and the media department to step in? And he said, well, every one of those teams has got their own commercial considerations. Their sponsors want releases at certain times, and it's, it would be inappropriate for VS Supercars to step in is, is the official line at the moment. But as we know, 28 cars and 30 licences, its uh, official lines can certainly be changed even without changing them officially. Somebody needs to take hold of this thing by the scruff of the neck and just... You know bang the team's heads together, you know, they really are, in so many things, their own worst enemies, but, I mean, that's, I'm just sounding like a tired old record banging on about that one, but it's well. just, you know, it is the case, you know, they, they, they really are, and if they were just, well, if Formula One teams can work together, which I never thought I'd see that happening, but if, if the realisation is dawned on Formula One teams that they must work together to move the sport forward and through its difficult times... Um, you know, well, it can't be beyond V8 supercar teams to work together and with V8 supercars to drive this sport forward, um, you know, to the level where it, it should be and it's sort of promised and threatened to be for the last probably at least um, 
five years, and VSCB Cars has a very good story to tell on the surface at the moment because um, it seems to be defying economic gravity by bringing in um, replacement sponsors, new sponsors, and having people, you know, more people wanting to buy licenses than there are licenses available. You know, that's a pretty good story uh, in these difficult times. Now, I just hope that VA Supercars is actually ahead of the curve and not behind it. Um, and when I say that, I mean that hopefully it means that it, it's you know, actually growing and being seen as good value commercially and that this just isn't just staving off, you know, some sort of collapse um, next year. I don't think that's the case, but I'm just making the point that it would be nice to think the V8 Supercars in this environment is actually ahead of the curve um, rather than just being caught on some sort of time delay. Mm. Now, before we go to the break, uh, let's uh, answer the question. Is Will Davison the right fit for HRT? And is this going to be a, a, a partnership of equals like we have now at Triple Eight, or is this going to be a, uh, a ferocious animosity between two teammates? First to you, Philippa. Yeah, no, I don't think there's going to be any animosity between um, Garth and Will. I think it's going to be a healthy rivalry and, and healthy competition. Um, Will is a very polished driver. He's eager. He can drive. He is always looking out for the best interests of his sponsors and his team. You know, he's, he's the ultimate package. He may not have the pizzazz or the, the naughty boy, pretty boy characteristics of a James Courtney, but... Um, you know, there's no reason why Will can't be a future face of HRT and Holden. Uh, he's certainly got the best competition and yardstick right beside him and Garth Tander, a former champion. Um, you know, it's it's really weird not, not seeing Mark Scaife's name on entry lists now. It's the whole changing of the guard for HRT. And, yeah, Will does seem to be a, a good fit. You know, HRT and Holden have always had this professional air about them. You know, they're, they're the most esteemed Holden team out there, if not of all the teams and, um, you know, with the way that Will has handled himself going through the ranks, you know, he's overseas, I can Wheeler stuff, you know, uh, dabbling in the Enduros before he at DJR, he hasn't put a foot wrong, he hasn't caused any really major uh, controversies or, or put his team in, um, you know, any black holes or anything like that previously. He's, you know, slow and steady wins the race and I think he's earned himself a position to step up. It's certainly big, a lot of pressure. He will have to perform like every driver year in, year out will have to step up their game. But um, with the equipment and the team he's got around him, I think it's going to be a really good year for, for HRT in 2009. I'm looking forward to it, really. It's going to be great. Folks? He's a perfect fit. The only thing he has to do is be fast. As long as he's fast and keeps Garth Tander under pressure or ultimately beats him, he'll be safe as houses. That's what uh, HRT team owner Tom Walkinshaw wants, in fact, it's what he demands. So, Will, if he's psychologically tough enough to withstand the pressure that those blokes out there are under, particularly when Tom's around, and he uh, steps up to the plate and he's as fast as we think he is, um, he'll be the perfect man because not only, you know, is he, you know, he is fit, he looks like he's fast, he certainly was in the Jim Beam Racing Falcon, um, and if he's mentally tough enough to thrive in that environment, he'll be home and hosed, and he'll be one of the new breed of V8 uh, supercar superstars in the future. But he's certainly, as far as a presentation package, he's just perfect for that team because he mm. complements and contrasts Garth Tander um, perfectly. You know, Will is um, just—he's a good-looking 
a good-looking guy. I'm surprised you say he's not a pretty boy, Philip, or I would have thought from a female perspective he'd be a hunk. <laughs> He um, is, he is, but, you know, I didn't want to use pretty boys well since James has got that, you know, uh, term now, thanks to Craig, sorry. But, yeah, he is, he's very polished and he's very easy on the eye and there's no reason why he can't increase his female fans, that's for sure. No, he'll work, he'll work well with Garth, mm -hmm. I think. There'll be a much better relationship between Will and Garth, um, even if it's intensely competitive, than there ever was between Garth and Mark Scaife. Um, no matter what Garth says publicly, you know, mm -hmm. the relationship between he and Scafie was um, prickly at best, I think, and for many <laughs> obvious and unobvious reasons. So there'll be a lot more harmony, a lot more relax. It'll be a lot more relaxed. Not, I'm not saying it's not serious, but a lot more relaxed in the HRT garage this year. And it'll, I think, from Garth's yeah. point of view, he sees it getting back to more like the relationship he had at HSVDT with Rick Kelly, where they got on well and they worked well together. And yeah. you saw that in the results where for two years um, those two traded, the, you know, basically swapped the championship between themselves. Yeah, yeah and just like with, with Garth and Rick, there was no egos, there's no arrogance, you know, they don't have cross words. And the last thing you need for, for an outfit that's getting a new driver is to have that tension between the two. And, you know, Will couldn't hurt a fly, really. So I think it's going to be a great complimentary, um, yeah, teammates at, at HRT. I'd have to say that was the biggest insight in this entire conversation. We need to take a break and be back with more on the V8 Insiders. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders as Fogues and Philippa. Well, what a combination. And it's being broken up too. Can you believe it? We need to talk yep. about what I facetiously call HSV... Uh, sorry, what I facetiously called HRT2. But is it the Bundy Barnes car or is it... Uh, Auto Bundy Racing. It's an interesting problem to have when you've got someone like Dave Reynolds, who's a, a young lion, up and coming. He wouldn't hurt a fly either, I'm sure, until he gets out on the racetrack and then he'd run over as many as he could. But... Yeah, I'm glad he, you're not in charge of marketing for that team. Was it Auto Bundy or what? Bundy Barn Racing. Bundy Barn Racing. Bundy Barn Racing. <laughs> I reckon that'll catch on too. It'll be like my yeah. Avo call. Yeah. yeah. Will they hurt? Will they hurt a fly, Philippa? Or gee, talk about damning with faint praise. Poor Davo. Wouldn't hurt a fly. Leave but it. This this team, when it's all come together, I still haven't got confirmation that that thirtieth license has been sold yet. But it does look like Autobahn Bundaberg Rum on the two cars in the Walkinshaw stable is going to go ahead. Is is this a combination of people and a combination of sponsors that will get the most out of the cars as a team? Or is this going to be two silos working next to the factory? 
The short answer, Craig, is that what we used to call the evil empire is back. Walkinshaw is now back owning HRT outright. He has, or is about to, well, he's got one extra license. He's on the verge of getting a fourth. So we're back to where it was um, up until early 2003 where the Walkinshaw organisation ran a super team of four cars. You'll remember until, for many reasons, Tom was forced to sell HRT and came out racing at the beginning of 2003. That split them up, although subsequently they came back to operate under the same roof. Now Tom's back owning uh, four entries, or should be anyway, if the uh, application to buy the uh, Walden licence was approved by the V8 Supercar Board of Directors. So we're back to the, um, the super team era, and the rules still allow our team one person to own up to um, four licenses, run four cars, and so there'll be a lot of, um, I don't know, cross-pollination, synergy, whatever you like, um, but essentially there will be, well, at least two teams as far as I read it, and maybe three if you want to really split it up. You'll have HRT, they'll do their thing. Then, as we understand it, it'll be Dumbrell running under the Autobahn Racing umbrella, and then if it all goes to plan, um, David Reynolds will be in the Bundaberg Red car. Don't know what that team's going to be called, Team Bundy Red or Bundaberg Red Racing or whatever, but you, you get the point. Um, but I think I think they're running under the same roof physically. I think I think the team had plans to expand the HRT's existing uh, workshop to um, have four bays so they could prepare four cars in it. I'm not entirely sure, but when I was last out there, that seemed to be the plan. So they may even actually be physically... Um, prepared out of uh, under the same roof, and, that, and as far as the rules go, that's okay. You know, it is effectively, from V8 Supercars' point of view, I guess one team because those four licences are owned by the same organisation. So, ostensibly, there will be Holden Racing Team, the Autobahn car, and the Bundaberg car, one team, but they'll have different names because of the di the different sponsors. Um, the big difference, though, will be. HRT, which is the official factory-backed team, if you like, will be running Holden branding, actual Holden signs on the cars, but the Walkinshaw racing entries, if you like, the other two, um, as I understand it, won't have any Holden signage because Holden's actually not, despite their close ties with Tom Walkinshaw, is not actually putting financial support into those two entries, and that's all part of Holden's um, cutback this year. It's an interesting one, isn't it? We've got Kim Jane... Sorry, we've got Kim Jones coming up in this week's white flag lap, and he, uh, well, he's a quite an interesting man. We've had a fantastic chat about uh, their move from Ford to Holden, and uh, I think you'll enjoy listening to Kim. He, uh, he had to bring his mate in out the back to talk for him a little while um, on some of the topics he brought up, and uh, I think when we talk about sponsorships and uh, manufacturers... I think you'll like what he has to say. Moving on from... Well, there's a first for everything, isn't there, Craig? Yes. Well, uh, I'll, let you, uh, I'll let you make that, because I couldn't possibly say that. But one thing Kim said to me... Has we stopped you before? <laughs> he... One thing He's Kim said to me, Philippa, <laughs> is that he hasn't been engineering cars for a long while now, ever since computers came in, he said because it's all a young man's game. And yet we have confirmed this week Glenn Seaton is returning as a full-time engineer. Yep. 
is this, like, how come one guy can't do it anymore and this guy can? Well, as many teams as you've got in pit lane is as many opinions as you're going to get. Um, you know, there's no doubt that uh, as far as the driver's perspective, yeah, there is this changing of the guard and more of the drivers coming through like James and Will and David Reynolds and, you know, PD still young as well. But, um, you know, you can't beat the experience of someone like Cito. And, you know, whether he's a second off, two seconds off, right on the pace, you can't buy the experience that he's got. Um, and as far as the benefits, Cedo Engineering and, and co-driving Alberto in 2009. You know, the hardest thing for a single-car team is that there's no yardstick. Um, Tony's been there on his own, no other driver to compare data with, to compare, you know, um, opinions and ideas about how to attack, you know, circuits differently to improve on. You know, he finished 25th last year and the, uh, the first-place rookie was in 18th. So he's got some ground to make up on. And um, the best... Um, move that Tony could have made was to try and secure Cito and you know thankfully it's been done because really if he didn't have that you, you wonder how much more improvement Tony can make because it's always tough being a rookie it's you know although it's Rod Nash's team it's his staff you know his car um, so where Cito's going to benefit um, you know benefit Tony this year is not only just by setup but I think rookies sometimes don't know if they're going to if they're giving the right feedback on how the cars are performing. So if the CWR would get in the car behind the wheel and, and feel it for himself, at least then now Tony's got that yardstick and has got someone else's opinion and he can find out whether he's actually on the right track. So I think it's valuable to have that, you know, old age experience, no matter what other people say. Someone I don't might, agree some, at all. Someone who might Far be from me to say that, you know, people over 40 don't have a place in motorsport. They clearly do. Yeah. But in this case, it's a generational thing and... and, and if Cito is actually engineering Tony's car, I, I can't, the best one in the world, I can't see that working. Tony should have a young, hungry, tech-savvy engineer there, you know, working with him who understands all the computer language and the telemetry and, and all the high-tech stuff that is now part and parcel of running and setting up a car. And I, I just don't see it, you know. Cito's a lovely bloke. He's a legend of the sport. He's still a handy driver in, in the enduro sense, perhaps. But as far as actually engineering a car, I, I just, that just sees fraught, seems fraught with problems. I mean, I, I think he should be there with Delberto, continuing as an advisor, as a mentor, as a bit of a coach. I, I think that's fine. And maybe, you know, have a go with Delberto as his endurance co-driver. Although, you know, again, with the best will in the world, I, I just think time has passed. You know, it, it really is a struggle for the older guys now in the intense competitive environment uh, behind the wheel. So I don't know. It's a big call, this one. I don't see it working. I hope it does, but I, I just think it's just... Cedo is, is of a different generation, and I'm saying that because he's one of the older guys who probably got into computers a bit earlier and had more understanding, but it's just gone so far forward since, you know, even since he last drove regularly that... Um, it, uh, it's, it's a very difficult one, and um, I, I personally have doubts that it's the right way to go. It's interesting because um, one thing Russell said when he moved to super cheap auto racing was, geez, they stuck me with this young and no faith in him, and, you know, and a quarter of the way through the year, he's going, well, I had, you know, I couldn't understand why Paul was doing it, but it was exactly the right thing to do. This guy knows the computers. He knows... You know, this car, he knows what he has to do. And, uh, you know, and, and you could see 
from the first quarter of the year where he's going, for God's sake, these kids, what are they doing on my car, mm. to the second three quarters of the year where he's going, thank God these kids are there. Those old farts I used to work with had no idea. And it was setting up a V8 supercar is incredibly complex, even though you know the rules are very restrictive, and you would think there's little room to play with. Apparently, because you know a lot of this gets beyond me, but apparently, if you break it down, there are millions of com setup combinations possible in the available adjustments they have within the suspension and all that. Now, obviously, the teams have refined it down a lot further over the years we just experienced, but potentially. Um, there, there's so much room to go slightly off where you need to be and get the setup. You know, it might only be minutely out in um, strict terms, but you know, you're suddenly gone from the front or the mid of the mid of the pack to the back. So, it, and interpreting all this da data is, you know, it, it's it's a fine art, it's a science, and you really need to understand it. So, um, going the wrong way, even slightly, as far as I understand, you know. You know, it can suddenly just send you shooting backwards. So you need the, you know, the youngest. Well, not so much the youngest, but at least you know the latest generation guys who understand and know how to interpret all this this data to really maximise. And um, uh, you know, I can understand Russell being um, very uh, dubious about it at first, but once you get your head around it, like any new technology, and understand it, you know, you start you you rush forward. I mean, mere mortals like us, we experience it every day. Um, you know, just in, when you're buying new gadgets, you know, you might be a bit intimidated at first, but if you persevere and work out, you know, how it works and and the benefits, you know, it comes to you and you suddenly think, well, why, why was I afraid of this? Why haven't I been using this before? Uh, well, it is interesting on two points as we go to the break. One, someone who might get a bit more revved up than the uh, three of us would say, Rod Nash Racing had a yardstick last year. It was called Steve Owen's Historical Data. And the second point to go to the break with is that uh, two weeks ago we ran the uh, competition on who we'd like to see as the dead body on City Homicide. And uh, you might be surprised. I, I, was, uh, I was complaining that the cross-promotion that we saw at uh, Seven in the second year was... Uh, in my mind, not up to the uh, exalted mark as what we could expect from the uh, number one network in the country. And uh, we, a few of us uh, on the show decided that perhaps a, uh, you know, a corpse having a V8 supercar driver play the corpse on City Homicide would be, you know, a juicy role that they could get their teeth into. Driver that won the uh, listeners' poll for yep. corpse on uh, City Homicide. Mm -hmm. Tony D. Alberto. And Are you serious? Oh. Paul Morris might be onto something. We need to take a break and be <laughs> back with more in just a moment. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, it's Tony Cochran from V8 Supercars Australia. Each week, find out what's going on in the world of V8 supercars with the V8 Insiders. 
Welcome back to the V8 Insiders as Philippa and Fogues continue on here. And, uh, well, as we look ahead for V8s in 2009, firstly, Fogues, what do you think 2009 holds for a V8 supercar fan? Well, hopefully, more of the same and more of more of the same. And heading into the start of the new season, which is, you know, not much more than a month away, I've got to say, it's looking good. A lot of teams under pressure, a lot of teams who really have to perform. Now, <laughs> we say that every year, but, you know, particularly HRT and FPR really have to lift their game. Um, you know, HRT's got to get back to being a consistent challenger and a consistent contender for the championship. FPR's got to go that extra yard. You know, they've had plenty of speed the last two, maybe three seasons, but, you know, they used to drop the ball and go off to a slow start and then come on like gangbusters at the end of the season. Last year they started strongly and then just threw it away in the second half. I mean, some of their strategy, their strategic decisions were beyond belief and it really hurt them. So the two primary factory-backed teams from the red and the blue side um, have a lot to prove and they really do this time. I think Holden must be running out of patience and Ford really needs some, um, you know, their main factory-backed team to step it up particularly as Triple Eight Team Vodafone this year will not be running as a Ford team as such. They'll be running FG Falcons, but Roland Dane in the past has said that, you know, if he can get away with it, he'll, he'll be not only running no Ford logos, but, you know, not even any Ford badges and um, planning not to acknowledge the, you know, the heritage of the car whatsoever. They'll just be the Triple Eight car or whatever. Whether he gets away with that, I don't, I don't know. But, you know, the primary focus for Ford is to get FPR... You know, to be leading the charge for the uh, for the blue team, and also you know behind them as as SBR. So two teams are the ones that really have to step it up this season, as far as I'm concerned. And with um, Will Davison there pushing Garth Tander, yeah. I think it's going to be very exciting to see the battle at the front because I think there'll be maybe a handful of teams that are super super competitive. So the racing should be pretty ferocious. Mm. Philippa. Um, I just think there's a whole, you know, a whole more positive change in the year. It's, it's an exciting start to the season as far as, you know, new drivers or new um, liveries, new teams being launched, new sponsorship coming in. You know, as we said at the beginning of the show, that V8 Supercars just seems to be defying economic trends at the moment. It just seems so stable, so strong, with a lot of the younger drivers bringing, um, you know, some pretty, pretty big blue chip companies. Um, you know, Wilson Security stepped up. We've got an e-commerce company and Interdell supporting Marcus Marshall. You know, there's more tool companies that we can throw at, more alcohol companies coming in. Um, there's a change in formats. There's the fuel, the uh, ethanol fuel. We've got Sydney street races in Townsville and Homebush. There's so much change. Um, I just really hope that we don't get swept up too much in the hype of the change and all the newness of the, the category that, um, you know, guys can really knuckle down and, and focus on creating some exciting racing because, you know, you're talking about Holden losing or running out of patience to, to get wins, particularly at Bathurst. I mean, how many years has the Holden fans lacked seeing a, you know, a Holden team win there? So I think the fans are running out of patience too. They want to see that side of the fence be a lot more stronger. So I think with change uh, this year, it's going to be really exciting and, um, you know, I can't wait to get to Clipsal and see it all, all unfold. It is uh, an interesting year ahead, and uh, guys, it, it's unfortunate Paul Marinelli won't be uh, back as a commentator, and we had Paul on the show last week, as you heard, 
But uh, mm. for Paul Dumbrell, with the increase of street races this year, Marinelli had just got to um, to the point now where he was almost Tom Carnegie-like. Of course, the famous Tom Carnegie call for 40-odd years was Andretti is slowing on the speedway. And it's like a for new the... track record. Yeah, well, yeah. that's right. That's well, yes, but the Andretti is slowing on the back straight was uh, something he got to say on a regular basis for two generations too, unfortunately, for them. But it is... Uh, Paul Marinelli was really getting into that and Dumbrell's Autobahn car into the wall and more predominantly at the street races. And uh, I think Paul got through with a 100% success record at street races with getting a car into the wall at every single one. And now we've got two more. Nick, we've got two more this year for that to happen. But uh, it is going to be... um, going to be a big year so will the story of 2009 be tires fuel street races or the formats mark and will chris jewell be any good paul marinelli's replacement i'm not being funny i just i've never heard chris jewell as a commentator um during the period when i was living overseas apparently he used to do commentary um for what formula holden formula 4000 as it became um, so uh, I, I'm just wondering. I mean, obviously he's been chosen because he's got some experience and some some form, but it just seems a very left field decision to me. And so I'll be interested, to say the least, to see how that works out. And it does seem unusual that, that uh, we've now, for the third season in a row, we've had a change um, in the lead on track um, commentator because we had, you know, Barry Oliver's last year, and he was sort of the Murray Walker of. V8 on-course commentary, who's the, the, the legendary voice. And unlike Murray, he didn't get a chance to step away. So we've also had two years of people yeah, having had, the... Uh, right, and then we had Marinelli Man, and now we've got another one again. So three different voices in three years. Um, you know, that's um, interesting that they're changing so readily. But as I say, I, I generally just interested to know how Chris Jew will, um, will perform. Um, I think he set himself a very high mark, so... A uh, very high standard to reach, so we'll see if he uh, does in fact reach it. I mean, he's at least he'll know what happens from the inside of a V8 supercar team because he's been working with uh, Brytech for, um, well, certainly with Brytech since it started, and before that he goes back a long way with Jason Bright. So that's one of the interesting questions, along with all the other things. We've had so many changes of new formats, new fuel, new tyres, and new events. Um, will they all work? If they don't, which ones do work? And uh, the biggest question mark, the biggest um, source of hope for the sport, I think, is um, Homebush, the street race in Sydney, because um, it's it's V8's biggest and last shot to establish a foothold in Sydney and get some enthusiasm and some interest in Sin City, because uh, it's just been a black hole of V8 interest over the years. Um, If that works, and it should do, because enough expertise and money and um, promotional and marketing muscle is going to be thrown at it. If it does work, um, it will be a huge win. So even if the other changes don't spice it up, that event alone is shouldering a great burden of responsibility to to, uh, really lift the sport to a new level, particularly in Sydney, which has been its, well, let's face it, its weakest market. If Philippa, Sydney doesn't work then, does that mean that Sydney is a black hole that V8 supercars will never reappear at? 
If no, you, I don't think so. Haven't they got this locked in for five years anyway, or is it is it year by year conditional? Oh, you have a five year contract, but uh, Canberra only saw three or five. Yeah. You can always buy out of a contract if it's not working. And have the contract actually formally been signed yet for the <laughs> race from, from the government? Do we know that yet? No, not from my understanding. I don't even think a lot of the first even. I and mean, I know that. Um, Tim Schenken, the um, V8 Supercar Race Director, and Gus Tander, and the engineers from V8 Supercars were in Sydney last week um, having a bit of a, a look over and checking you know, where they're going to put curbing and tightening corners and such. So they're still putting a lot of depth um, into the design of the circuit before they actually start building it. So there's still a long way to go to, to perfect it. We'll, we actually won't know until the end of the year. I really don't hope it does. We haven't got um, Oran Park anymore. We haven't got Eastern Creek, and I dare say that we won't be going back for the for the last time that I have in this in this industry. Um, if the, if we go by what Tony Cocker has been saying about that particular circuit, so we really we do need it. We're hanging on it. I think, like folks said, enough expertise has gone into this, enough background research has been put together to try and get this event up and running. And I don't think Tony Cocker is going to let go until he makes this thing work. You know, just like people were doubtful about Bahrain. You know, how many years we've been going there now? And yeah, okay, so the the numbers and the crowds uh, aren't that spectacular over there, but they're, they're getting behind it and they're trying to make it a success. And, you know, they're, they're going to be going there for the, for the foreseeable future, even possibly expanding in that region. So Tony won't let up until he makes this thing work, and I really hope it does. But how, how refreshing, can I just add, that it's, it's nice that we're not talking about the point system changing. Everything else seems to be changing but the points for one season. It's been a couple of years since we've been talking about that, so it's nice that we've got other things to talk about in 2009, but, uh, you know, when I spoke to Gus Tander, particularly about the, the softer compounds that's going to be introduced at a number of rounds this year, you know, there's all novelty about having a newness to it, but once everyone works out the, you know, the secrets to, to um, you know, how to best get the performance out of that in particular, then everyone's going to be following the similar sort of strategies. So, you know, it might all be pizzazz and excitement to start with, but then the fizzle might, you know, die down. We're, we're yet to see, but um, I'm hoping it all works. I think the crosses for sure. And I have to hope it works, because my job's on the line then, isn't it now? Well, that is how I was going to uh, broach this <laughs> entry into the white, la white flag lap phase of the show, and that is hopefully your contract will have a, uh, a couple-of-week period, perhaps... Uh, in Christmas and New Year, where we can have you back on the show, Philippa, since you're going to be locked out of the V8 Insiders by uh, by the uh, is it by the Emperor and his uh, and his stormtroopers. And well, I don't think it's being locked out. I mean, when you when you work full time for any corporation and you represent that brand, you represent it solely. And my position is not one of of being able to talk to the media, despite my media and journalistic background. So. You know, my whole focus is just knuckling down and helping the, the telecast as much as I possibly can. And, yeah, if I'm allowed to come back, you know, down the track, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I certainly hope to be able to be involved, you know, in um, you know, 12 months' time or so. It uh, probably depends on how good I work this year, I suppose, how my probation... Well, you have been a, a big part of the V8 Insiders, Philippa, and it has always been a pleasure to have you on the show. And thanks for your time. Good luck with the future. And I know, Mark, you're uh, as devastated as the editor-at-large of Auto Action. You've lost a person who writes half the magazine, it seems, every week. It looks like there's the FG initials in the first five pages of the mag. No, we'll be all right. We'll hardly miss it. You right. You'll barely notice the difference, Craig. Come on, don't bigger up that much. Uh, we'll be fine. Thanks, mate.
appreciate yeah, no, your no, support. No, no, Phil. <laughs> I'm we just will, watching We you. will on the magazine miss you, and um, I was going to say good luck, but you don't need good luck. You'll do fine at V8 Supercars Television, but uh, don't neglect us. Stay in touch, no. and um, hopefully you can help improve the telecasts. Yes. Hopefully. Um, that, get, that's what I'm being paid to do. I can't wait, actually, to get started. Get them up to the train wreck standard of the V8 Insiders, at least. <laughs> we'll take a I'm break. I'm not answering that. And be back with the white flag lap next. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Kim, it's uh, obviously a tough decision to make when you have to change drivers uh, at any time in a uh, in a racing team, but particularly when the driver's related to you, that must make the decision even harder. Uh, look, really, um, we were presented with an opportunity to have um, a driver uh, who, who has very good credentials. Um, we had two drivers that were given a commitment to to go forward in 2009. Um, and at the end of the day, we were sort of all, all deciding how we were going to go through the process. And um, just before I park, Andrew stepped up to the mark and said, um, look, I think I'm a bit stale. I've been running, working very, very hard and um, running around 20th most of the time. Um, and it's very frustrating. I put my heart and soul into this. Um, how about I'll have 12 months off? Um, and that opens the door for Jason and say, you guys all agree. Um, so out of the three people that it really affected, which is Bradley, myself and my wife, that was that was a scenario. So it wasn't like you're out of the car. Um, Andrew Andrew made the decision that that he was going to step down and um, then we sort of moved on. And really at the end of the day, we're running a business and that's the business is, first and foremost, um, entertainment, secondly, servicing corporate partnerships, and thirdly, going motor racing. Um, sure, it's going to be, you know, we haven't not had a Jones on the side of a BJR car for basically since we started. It's interesting, that uh, word, because uh, a business decision, because uh, we did hear that word from Ray Price an awful lot in the second half of last year. And it does indicate that Everyone on the grid now understands that it's not something you do anymore because your dad did it and you did it and it's a lot of bit of it's a bit of fun. You've got no, now it's, it's way, you've got too much money tied up in it, isn't it? It's way past that. But if you remember back, you mentioned about the Ford thing. Didn't a couple of country boys look like geniuses moving the whole? Um, look, the, it is a big business, and and that's the way it works. Um, we provide services. Uh, we have a very strong following, uh, 1.9 million people on the ground, and we go to everywhere in Australia. So um, starts in March, finishes in December. It's a very strong business, and we need to keep it that way, and you need to keep moving. And really, the fact that Andrew's not in the car is probably indicative to everybody 
in our organisation that it doesn't matter who you are or what you are, if you um, if the opportunity happens to be that there's a business decision to move forward, that's what you've got to do. It is interesting. You have uh, made a move in the last couple of years to two very experienced drivers uh, in your, your cars. You made the move to a very experienced package in your racing equipment. What does it mean in year two for Cam and year two for the team with the Walkinshaw, uh, with the Walkinshaw equipment? I've got a double-barreled shotgun, so it is doesn't work. Uh, not really. Um, look, obviously we want to move forward, and the problem that you have is if you were even three years ago at where the grids were and what the gaps were between each car to where it is now, it's minuscule. You know, I, I, I can't remember how many times Andrew particularly qualified 21st and missed out on being in the top 20 by hundreds of thousands of seconds. And you say to somebody, you go out there, drive around that four-kilometre track or three-kilometre track um, and do and be within one thousandth of a second of two or three people in front of you? Impossible. Now, why can't he break just a fraction later or get on the throttle a fraction earlier? You can't because everybody's at the same level. Everybody's equipment is very, very good and everybody's trying their heart out to, to do what they're doing. Twelve months on from the decision which you said uh, a couple of country boys made to look like geniuses. What do you, uh, what, what do you think of the move? You, you know, because you're an engineer at, at heart, it, it would have been hard for you to let go of the reins to go, I'm not going to be doing all this work now, I'm going to buy it. Uh, no, I stopped engineering cars a long time ago. Once they bought computers in, because I can't even make those, get close enough to make those spell checks work. Um, no, really, look, I'd be a lot happier with the decision if, we, if we'd sold the Fords, but we've still got them. So if anybody's listening and wants to buy one, um, give us a yell. Geez, the, that ride tech went out of business. So were your best, so your best customers. Yeah. Look, um, the only way you crashed them, which was really regularly. Um, look, at the end of the day, we've, laid, we've made a bed, we've laid in it. Um, are we happy with where we're at? No. I was very happy the way we bounced out of the box last year, but the last part of the year wasn't good. Um, so we've taken that on board. We've done a, because we haven't had to build new cars or change what we're doing or anything. We've had a reasonable amount of time over the off season to um, go through it all and, and look at the mistakes and analyse it and hopefully move forward. We've got a few new people in the team, um, and you know, like at the end of the year, our pit stops were spot on. I think a couple of times we were quickest. Um, and, and we just keep battling away with what we need to do um, to get there. And it's just, it's my new things. I can't explain how you need to do all the little bits and keep, keep putting grits into a bucket to try and get a result because you don't need much of a splash to move forward five or six spots on the grid. And the same thing, if you make a mistake, you can easily go backwards. Mm. It, the, the sport has become such a, a highly technical sport. It has uh, become such a, um, a, a, a important to have the right people in the right spot. Is it more difficult for you guys to get these uh, highly qualified, highly technical people by not being uh, based in the capital cities? Well, we live in a beautiful place called Albury. 
it's close to the mountains if you want to go skiing. It's got a, a lake that sometimes has water in it enough to go water skiing. It's got a beautiful river. We're close to the wineries and we're not hard enough here. Um, it, look, yeah, that's a problem. Sometimes it's hard to get there, but it's about the package you put together and having all the people work together as a team. And that's something that over the years we've been able to achieve. Uh, it's quite a... I, I like the fact that we're the only non-city-based V8 supercar team. Um, you know, it, it, it's a big thing. You, you have a look at footy, for instance, because that's probably our major competitor, AFL, when I used to watch when I was a kid and it was black and white. The guys used to go on, on the footy field and they'd run all day and, um, you know, get off and go and have a beer and go out and they'd be fine. Nowadays, AFL, they, they hurt themselves um, because they're working so hard. But when you compare it, there's not really a great deal of change in that game in the last 10 years. There's a few rule changes. Um, you know, there's a few people who have changed, but that's about it. Yeah, supercars is a world different from where it was. Um, you know, every year we're trying to make the show better. It's all about, um, it's all about being competitive, it's all about looking after our fans and, and all those sorts of things. And I think that um, that's, that's where our industry is moving forward. You know, Ten years ago, we were seventh or eighth sport in Australia. Now we're third. I, I guess, though, um, if we're looking at the industry, how long do you think uh, you can stay in Albury? Uh, we're so so deeply entrenched here. Um, it would take a fair bit to move us. Um, and you know, we if you if you're in a race team and you're based in Dandenong and we're based in Albury. It's actually quicker for us to get to Winton to go testing than it is for them. Um, it's quicker for us to get to the airport than it is for them because they're going to drive across the other side of the city. Um, you know, there's benefits to and fro for both things. You know, probably when we were ready to move up everything and move was in the Audi days. And unfortunately, myself and my wife had a terminal son. So we stayed in Albury for that reason, for his care. And... Um, and, you know, the, the things just blossom from there where, yeah, I'm sure that we will probably get new facilities at some time in the future. Um, and the, the thing will expand and we might do other things as well. I don't know. You've got to, you've got to have an open mind in this economic climate to be able to do what you need to do to make money. It's a bit difficult to go down and make a withdrawal at the bank with a gun because not very often you can get away with that. Uh, I... With the uh, sales pitch you did for Aubrey Wodonga, I'm surprised you're not on the uh, Council or the Chamber of Commerce there to uh, help market the place. But uh, I reckon it'd be really good if they gave us a block of land to build a, uh, build a race thing on. Okay, well, I'll make sure that one gets back to the Council. <laughs> Thank but, you. But, uh, we, but I, I look at, and like, I, I, I know that you had uh, a long time there at Calder Park and and we're looking at what the Americans were doing, and when we look at their infrastructure and their racing and, and draw some parallels, there is no teams left outside of the hubs. And it's a, uh, it's a shame, but they they had to move to the hubs. Like, Petty's is sold up now, but they had moved back, and uh, Wood Brothers have pretty much moved into Concord now. They were the teams that were out in their in their areas they grew up in, 
and yeah, but when you when you sit back and walk at that far, they travel a hell of a lot further than we travel. Um, they do a lot more racing than we do, and you know, I was talking to someone the other day over dinner, and probably a little too much wine, but. You have a look at V8 supercars and people like Craig Gore come into the sport. Very successful business people, quite wealthy, and they can't make it work. Um, there's a few who are still left in there. The Stones, us, Gary Rogers, Dick Johnson. Um, you know, there's still a few of us left there that are, that are racist. And while that's, Larry Perkins is one of them, while that's going on, um, I think that the industry will be fine. Do we need to move to the capital city? Uh, I don't know. The circumstances have to be right. Um, you know, like both my brother and myself own our own home. So we own that, we own that shed that the, the business is in. So all those sorts of things you have to take into account when moving. The lifestyle would change if you move to the capital city. Uh, all that sort of stuff. I think, you know, I'm quite happy where we are and what we're doing. Crikey, I'm 53 years old or something now. So, um, as my son said at my last birthday, my youngest son, I hope the decline's not too steep, Dad. <laughs> and uh, if you talked about the entertainment side, and if I can ask you one more question. Yep. Is it time that we, and would you support your drivers, look at the WWE, which is fast becoming the most popular entertainment for people under the age of about 18 in this country, is it time that we actually start getting these drivers to do some, to do some pantomime and to get people talking about it? And, you know, the thing is, no wrestler would be pissed off by what any other wrestler says about them because they know the script in a month's time will mean they'll be doing the same to someone else. Uh, look, I, you've got to be careful that you don't have it too orchestrated. But I think that it's a little bit sanitary that you can't say things. You know, God only knows that I've had my uh, knuckles wrapped more than once by officials for um, opening my mouth. Um, but that's all part of the entertainment. And, yeah, I think that part of it needs to be waxed up a little bit. Uh, the other thing I think that needs to happen if we're just talking about Kim Jones's personal point of view, or he's made out the back so that I don't get in too much trouble, mm -hmm. um, is that on one side of the street, which is the race team side of the street, everything's accountable. You step out of line, you get a fine. You make a mistake, you get a fine. It doesn't matter what you do, you're accountable. Um, you have an opinion, you get a fine. On the other side of the street, as in official world, there's no accountability. How many times has somebody made a mistake with the pace car and they go, oh, sorry, we picked up the wrong car, move on. Um, you know, there's no accountability in that. So I think that's one thing that will make the show better is having the accountability and having the professionalism on, on the other side of the fence because I think the race team part of it is very professional at the moment. Um, and fixing up what you can say. I don't think we need to go as far as the wrestling where you're slagging each other and trying to pick fights and 
you know, it's, it's about having a strong opinion without going too far. That's what people, because people aren't stupid. Our fans aren't stupid. They see something and then they stick a microphone in front of someone and they go, oh, well, you know, like, oh, we, we sort of accept that. That's the way it is and, and move on. Or do they like people who go, that was just totally wrong. They've wrecked our race. And um, we, we're the penalty for someone else's mistake. That's what the people want because that's true. And at the end of the day, we're all Australians. We're all like, to be honest. Um, that's the way it is. So perhaps we can start seeing some scripting between maybe uh, the WOW and the BOC and uh, just have one driver in the black hat there and one driver in the white hat. And uh, so then you've got both bases covered. I'm fighting inside-out teams, let me tell you. They've got to deal with me if they start to sit But um, I, I think, you know, a couple of times last year there was an opportunity for me to meet him. Uh, the thing that I'll regret for the rest of my life, somebody asked me when Andrew had the accident, from a father's point of view, what do you say like that? From a teammate's point of view, what do you say? And I said, Jesus, I should have said, wow, shouldn't I? On that note, Kim James, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you. No worries, thanks very much. My thanks to Kim Jones, Fogues and Philippa as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.